0: Hello, welcome to Music in Mind with Anthony Calkins. I am Anthony Calkins. And for today's episode, I'm going to be starting a new series, which is going to be part of my podcast moving forward, which will be the reading series. And the reason I wanted to do this was an idea I got from Bitcoin Audible, which is a podcast run by Guy Swan, where for the first half of the podcast, he reads an article about Bitcoin. And the second half of the podcast, he discusses that article. So I want to take a very similar format and um, read articles, read books, go through things like that. And actually, this is a great chance for you, the listener, to get in touch with me about articles that you would like to hear or read. So feel free to submit articles. Anybody who subscribes on Patreon will definitely get their article of choice read on the podcast, and I will discuss it. So for this reading series though, I'm gonna start with the book, The Collected Essays of Milton Babbitt. And the reason I've chosen this book is uh, I recently had a composer meetup with a bunch of composer friends from college. And we were talking about our professor, Steven Dembski, who died last year, sadly. And we all sort of miss him, and uh, he was one of the primary editors on this book, and a protege of Milton Babbitt. And so I thought it would be a nice tribute to him to go back into some of this old material. Now this is going to be a little bit sort of more academic than this show is usually geared towards, but I have musical examples, and uh, I I think it's I think it's interesting nonetheless if you like music, and we'll we'll see how it goes, but. As we're going through this, feel free to get in touch with me and submit ideas for new articles for me to read, for music for me to listen to. And of course, if you want to be a guest or if you have ideas for guests, feel free to get in touch with me that way. And remember that my podcast is a value for value podcast, which actually has a number of meanings. One is that you can listen to this podcast on a variety of value for value platforms. Fountain is my favorite podcasting app where you can actually get Satoshi's streamed to you for listening you can stream Satoshi's to podcasters that you support you can uh, you can boost their podcast by supporting them donating Satoshi's to them and it's a nice little podcasting community on there where we're all trying to be supportive of each other and show each other value for value but value for value actually means a little bit more than that it means that we can have an exchange of value me, the podcaster, the artist, and you, the listener. So whatever value you feel like you derive from this podcast, you can share back with me in a variety of ways. You can send Satoshis to me through the Fountain app. You can donate Bitcoin to me. You can donate to my Venmo, links are all below. You can also sign up on my Patreon on a monthly basis and get access to all sorts of bonus content. And so those are different ways that we can exchange value. If you derive value from this podcast, you can give value back to me through those methods. All right, on to the show. Welcome to Music in Mind, Music in Mind, with Anthony Coffey. So the first essay that I will be reading in this reading series will be an essay by the American composer Milton Babbitt, and this is from the book called The Collected Essays of Milton Babbitt, which is edited by Stephen Dembski and Joseph Strauss, who were both composition professors and composers at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Steven Dembski was actually my composition professor when I was at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So there's a whole lineage here that I'm engaging in and I'm sort of trying to celebrate and what I will do is I will share my screen here so anybody watching on YouTube can follow along with the words and anybody listening I have musical examples that I'll play along the way to match up with the text so that that will all be there. So the essay that I'm going to be starting with is the first essay in this book, The Collected Essays of Milton Babbitt, called The String Quartets of Bartok, 1949. This article was originally published in the Musical Quarterly, edition 35, in 1949. The dates of composition of the six string quartets of Bartok are as follows. Number one, opus seven, 1908 to 1909. Number two, opus 17, 1914 to 1917 number three, 1927, number four, 1928, number five, 1934, and number six, 1939. The recent performance of the string quartets of Bella Bartok by the Juilliard string quartet served by virtue of the stylistic unity of the presentation and the fortuity of the non-chronological programming to emphasize above all the homogeneity and consistent single-mindedness of Bartok's achievement in his works for this medium. The superficially striking idiomatic differences between the first two quartets and the latter four appeared entirely secondary to the basic unity of purpose that invested all six with the character of a single self-contained creative act. For all that these works span an entire creative career, there is throughout a single conceptual attitude and from the second quartet on a personal sound is present through which this conception is disclosed. Most important, the unity of purpose emerges in all its significance as the identification of the personal exigency with the fundamental musical exigency of the epoch. Emphasizing the impossibility of divorcing the qualitative aspect of the musical achievement from its strategic aspect. For it is in this respect that Bartok's music is so completely of its time and achieves a contemporaneity for transcending mere considerations of style or idiom. It is non provincial music that reveals a thorough awareness of the crucial problems confronting contemporary musical composition and attempts to achieve a total and personally unique solution of these problems. Bartok from the outset of his career and throughout all the observable stages of formulation and eventful fulfillment, and this certainly appears to be the relationship between the third and fourth quartets, remained a traditionalist in that he was unwilling to abandon completely the employment of generalized functional tonal relationships existing prior to a specific composition. Yet he was aware of the hazards inherent in using the language overladen with connotations in which the scarcely suggested is perceived as the explicitly stated. At the same time, the exclusive employment of unique Internally defined relationships which can avoid this danger leads to a considerable sacrifice of tonal motivation. Bartok's problem was that of achieving an assimilated balance between these two methods, without oversimplifying the problem by assigning discrete regions of control to each, for such a solution is indeed no solution, substituting as it does segmentation for integration. Yet, since the connotative is most dangerously explicit in the small and the self-defined least structurally explicit in the large, there is, in general, a sense an inverse relationship between harmonic definition and temporal span in Bartók's quartets. But the relationship is revealed through virtually non-perceptible phases of change in the relative autonomy of these two organizational principles. There is, however, no avoiding on the one hand a highly attenuated functionality, or on the other hand a constant mutation, rather than more easily perceived reiterations of the thematic elements. In this resides the difficulty and apparent complexity of Bartók's music. Bartók's concern for the total composition and the resultant evolution of the maximum structure from a minimum assumption makes it irrelevant whether one initiates a consideration of his music with the detail or the entirety. In Bartók's case, to consider thematic structure is quite a different thing from thematic analysis. Rather, it is a means of entering the total composition. Bartok's thematic material, for the reasons indicated above, is in no sense unequivocal in tonal orientation. It consists, characteristically, of a small number of chromatically related tones stated in their minimal linear span. Such a theme can, by alterations of relative durations, metrical placement, and dynamic emphasis, serve as the elaboration of almost any one of its component elements without sacrificing its initial character. Then rather than functioning as a fixed unit that is acted upon, such a theme can itself act as a generator, avoiding redundancy through continual variation, but creating at the same time continuous phases of association an important element in the first and last movements of the fourth quartet has the following form in its first appearance. Only the external factors of dynamics and pause cause the last note to predominate. But when true finality is to be achieved with this motif at the end of the first and last movements, it is altered to the following form Great emphasis being placed on the upper third of the final note. The final note may function merely as a neighboring tone in an expansion of the motif, which emphasizes the second note. Or the span of the motif may be extended to a fourth Or finally, the motif may assume an extended form in which only the general rhythmic characteristics of the original are present. From his thematic assumption arises Bartok's polyphony, every line of which is a thematic variation and expansion, progressing tonally in terms of the successive elaborations of the tonal area controlled by single thematic elements. At the same time, the polyphonic lines are coordinated and given unified harmonic direction through the relationships existing among the simultaneously elaborated central tones. This procedure often appears to be an organic employment of what has been mistermed polytonality, a self-contradictory expression which, if it is to possess any meaning at all, can only be used as a label to designate a certain degree of expansion of the individual elements of a well-defined harmonic or voice-leading unit. In general, it is impossible to determine the harmonic orientation of a Bartók quartet from the implications of a single harmonic event. Rather, the harmonic region is revealed through polyphonic unfolding. While the specific harmonic events serve often merely to state secondary relationships which make it possible for certain dissonant polyphonic events to acquire a relative stability arising not from their inherent structure, but from their relationships to these harmonic statements, thus is the polyphony functionally framed, but deriving its internal character from the nature of the thematic assumption. The effect of true harmonic progression is often achieved analogically rather than absolutely through the transposition of a harmonically indefinite unit where the harmonic relationship associated with the interval of transposition affects the total harmonic relationship. This type of progression by translation is one of tonal association rather than one of tonal function. It also serves to articulate sections through the return and restatement of such characteristic fundamental combinations. In the first movement of the fourth quartet, the first strong harmonic emphasis is placed upon the following harmonically ambiguous whole-tone chord. At what may be considered the end of the exposition or the beginning of the development, the following passage appears. Which has the effect of moving the original harmony in its root position up a major third through the whole tone steps. That is, in terms of its own components. So, in spite of the lack of a decisive absolute tonal level, the first harmonic section contains the second and is expanded by it, as surely as the tonic contains the dominant. It is also interesting to note that, following the initial statement of this whole-tone chord, an elaboration of its elements follows, ending with the following chord, which is a chromatic filling of the tritone B flat to E, which had been diatonically filled by the whole-tone chord. This harmony recurs at the same tonal level at the end of the next phrase, thus fulfilling an articulative role and demonstrating the possibility of stating a harmonic structure at a fixed tonal level in different contexts in such a way that the harmonic structure itself possesses different implications. The developmental nature of the motival structure in the work leads to the identification of linear and vertical statements. The following quotation from the opening of the second movement of the fourth quartet is a striking example of this. The linear elements stated by the cello and viola are accompanied by the same elements stated in successive pairs by the violins. This serialization appears as early as the opening of the second quartet and becomes increasingly characteristic and important. It has also led to a comparison of Bartok's music with that of the school of composers whose music is based entirely upon or stems from serial methods. But serialization in Bartók is but one of many integrative methods in the small, and its specific character is determined by the context in which it occurs. Never does it create the context. Likewise, Bartók's considerable use of inversion, retrogression, and free permutation is essentially a traditional one, concerned with varying linear characteristics while preserving their relative contours. Never does he use inversion, for instance, in its abstract structural role of maintaining the harmonic invariance of successive dyads, as is done in 12-tone music. Even in those rare cases where inversion is employed over a large structural unit, its function is variational and thematically explicit. The following example from the first movement of the fifth quartet, where the entire recapitulation is stated in free inversion, indicates how Bartok inverts not only the individual lines, but the entire score. The first of these quotations is from the exposition. The second is from the corresponding point in the recapitulation. The evolution of the theme in Bartók is not confined to the region of a single movement. In all of Bartók's quartets, thematic relationship among movements occur. This, of course, is not a new notion. Indeed, it is one that has been employed in the most ingenious manner as a means of securing a unity of a merely mechanical, quotational sort. In Bartók, this procedure is employed in two basic ways. The first has as its goal the creation of a type of structural climax by the gradual emergence of the theme through various stages of increasing functional importance from movement to movement. This method, which is already used in the first quartet, is brought to fulfillment in the last, an essentially monothematic work. The theme of this work which is stated at the head of the movement in successive one two three and four part settings generates each of the movements with the entire fourth movement functioning as its most direct and complete expansion the second technique rather than associating all the movements has as its purpose the revelation of the symmetrical structural conception of the entire work through the identification of symmetrically disposed movements, as in the fourth and fifth quartets. Naturally, these thematic identifications are seldom exact. The theme is altered to permit quite different exploitations in its development, while the identification functions associatively rather than literally. The preoccupation with structural completeness Through the use of such methods as these has led to Bartók's music being accused of formalism and constructivism. Such a criticism presumably implies that the structure of the work was predetermined without reference to the specific materials. On the contrary, Bartók's formal conception emerges as the ultimate statement of relationships embodied in successive phrases of musical growth. The arch form structure of the total fifth quartet is explicitly foreshadowed in the structure of the first movement. The analogous structure of the fourth quartet is revealed through a carefully planned symmetry of tonal centers that arise as the goals of harmonic directions established previously. However, it is probably true that these thematic methods, which Bartók is obliged to use to achieve a sense of completeness are symptomatic of a difficulty inherent in an idiom where the independent formalism is inhabited by the presence of functional harmony, but where the tonal functionality itself is too rarefied and complex to affect unambiguous formal finality. In so fluid a harmonic idiom, true cadential articulation can easily lead to textural inconsistency. Bartok employs the instrumental resource of the quartet to achieve phrase and sectional articulation. Extreme shifts in purely sonic effect are used to define large formal relationships, while more subtle shifts in tonal balance, often affected through doublings, define smaller sections. Striking color characteristics associated with a harmonically ambiguous combination of tones may serve to endow it with an individuality that makes it possible for it to function in the role of a tonic sonority, at least to the extent of achieving a sense of return. Perhaps more problematical than any aspect of Bartók's music itself is the future of the attitude it embodies. Bartok's solution was a specific one. It cannot be duplicated, but the question of whether it can be extended depends largely upon whether or not Bartok has reduced the use of generalized functionality to the minimum point at which it can exert structural influence. There is some evidence in Bartok's own work that such an exhaustion may have taken place. The sixth quartet is in many respects a retreat from the position of the fourth and fifth. But such a question cannot be answered in the abstract. The answer can only be found in the music that will or will not be written. Okay, now that was a lot. That was probably not something that you're used to listening to. There's a lot in there, but there's a few things that I think actually are pretty interesting to talk about. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Bartok's string quartets, what I think I'm going to do for my first listening series is listen to a couple of his string quartets and just talk about them. So that'll be uh, later this month, or I guess it'll be next month that I put that out. Um, But what I do want to do is I want to talk about some of the things that um, Milton Babbitt was saying about Bartok. And I think specifically, I want to focus on the idea of exhausting tonal um, implications and the tonal system down to its sort of smallest distillation. How far can you take the tonal system and still use what is uh, powerful about it? And what I think is interesting about this particular question is also something that Stephen Dembski, my professor, talked about a lot. So just a quick background for anybody who doesn't know, uh, tonality is sort of the way of thinking about music where there's relationships between notes and chords and keys and things like that. So somebody says we're in the key of E minor, for instance, that means that E minor is sort of our home chord, our home note, and everything else is going to revolve around that. That's called tonic. And then there's a secondary chord, which you might argue is maybe more important, called the dominant, and that'll be five tones away from E, so E, F, G, A, B. B is going to be our dominant, our five, and that's going to pull us back to our one. So B would pull us back to E, and if you don't understand why that is, that's okay, but just try and follow along, because that's a very, very complex answer, however... The general idea is that tonal music has this sense of pull. So five is very tense, the dominant is very tense, and it's gonna pull us back to our tonic, which is sort of at rest. And so this tension, resolution, tension, resolution. This can sort of be um, the basic idea of functional harmony or tonality. And that's sort of how classical music, and lots of musics actually, that's how a lot of rock music and pop music and blues music and pretty much any kind of music that we listen to on a daily basis moves there are these certain chords that are very tense and they move to these certain chords or harmonies or notes that have a sense of rest tension resolution tension resolution. So what Bartok is trying to do in his music is find how far you can push that how far you can take that idea, because maybe you're doing it with a B chord and an E minor chord, but maybe you're actually doing it with textural changes in the sounds. Maybe you're doing it with a lot of really intense chords in the cello, and then a lot of really nice gentle chords in the cello. I mean, that's a very basic way of putting it, but how far can you push this idea of tension and resolution? Where can you find tension and resolution? And one of the things that Milton Babbitt was talking about was how in traditional harmony, the dominant harmony is built into the tonic harmony. The five is built into the one. If we're in the key of C major, our chords in our tonic harmony, our notes, excuse me, in our tonic harmony are C, E, and G. So that G is built into there. Our G is our five, and then our G chord is G, B, and D. And so what Milton Babbitt was talking about was that Bartok was building chords, but not traditional chords. He was calling them whole tone chords. That's where you'd go, you know, C, D, E, F sharp or something like that, or B flat C, D, E, which is the example he was using. So those are all whole steps, but you can build sort of your functional moving relationships out of that as well. So your first chord is going to be B flat C, D, E and then your second chord might be built on that E. So that second chord is already being stated within the first chord. And I think that this is something that's very important to tonality, is the pre-statement of material and the relationship of material, which is what Milton Babbitt was talking about, the difference between what Bartok was doing, which has a very functional essence, which means that Every musical movement he's trying to make should have something to do with the previous and something to do with the future and should have sort of a predictive and an unfolding characteristic versus what Milton Babbitt was calling serialized music. So that's music that unfolds a process, but it doesn't have to do with functional relationships. There isn't function to the process. The process is its own system. So I have a little melody, doo-doo-doo, and maybe I flip it upside down. be doo doo or I play it backwards, excuse me, bee-doo-doo, or then I could flip it upside down, or I could flip it upside down and play it backwards. And these are just processes that you can do to it, and you can recognize what's happened to it, but one doesn't necessarily imply another, and one doesn't lead to another. So within functional harmony, there's a sense of um, one thing moving to another. And there's a sense that something has to move to another, or it should move to another. And if it doesn't move that way, then our expectations are thwarted. Versus in a serial system, there's a process that's unfolding, but we don't necessarily have an expectation about what is to come. So what I want to do now is I want to just start by listening just to a little bit of the, the fourth string quartet, the second string quartet, and the fifth string quartet, which were the three that, that Milton Babbitt talked about the most, just to give us a sense for what these might sound like a little bit. So here's, here's a little bit of the fourth string quartet. And let's see if we can actually start to hear some of these themes that Milton Babbitt was talking about, where Bartok elaborates on them and shifts them and transforms them. And maybe uses things like playing them upside down and backwards but only in the only within the context of transforming them functionally rather than serially rather than just an automatic process it should feel more organic <laughs> So that was a short clip of the Takas Quartet playing Bartok's fourth string quartet. And so I think you could hear that be a lot. And you know, it would happen in different instruments and it would go up and down, and maybe do da-da-da-da-da or something like that. There are all sorts of ways of trans transforming this, this little melody sort of organically that is used to denote sections. And that's the other important thing that Milton Babbitt was talking about is it's used to to imply sections. Now what i think is interesting about this is this is not music that most people are used to listening to right this music kind of feels sort of opaque and odd but once you get sort of a sense of just basics like that like listening to a little theme and hearing where that theme is present and moving around and sort of we're in that theme area and then maybe that theme disappears and now what you can hear is you can hear that we're in a new section of music in the exact same way that you would listen to a pop song or a beatles song or anything that it's easy for us to understand because we're so used to listening to music like that and we go oh now we're in the chorus oh now we're in the verse we can do the same thing with something like a string quartet if we start to recognize just little individual elements like that so just just out of interest let's listen to a section of the second and the fifth string quartet also the takas quartet playing them so let's let's listen to a little bit of the fifth string quartet here this one's kind of an interesting one so right there just that much we kind of have two ideas we have this sort of sawing, right that's one idea and then we have another idea so now we have things that go up and down and we have things that kind of saw in one spot and so we have two very basic things and and what Bartok is doing is obviously more complicated than that. And the notes matter, and he, he has all these relationships that are intertwined, but just something as simple as that. And now what we're doing is we're listening on this broader level and we're taking it in, in the same way that I was saying we can take in a Beatles song or something like that, where we might not know every single chord they're playing, and we might not be able to hear every single note in the guitar solo, but we can hear generally, oh, the guitar's doing this bend and it's really expressive and then he comes down, or the, the chords have this interesting chord in the middle that's really juicy, and even if we don't know what the name of that chord is just by listening to it, we can feel what's happening in the music because we're recognizing that either something is fulfilling our expectation or it is subverting our expectation. All right, last last thing to listen to a little bit of the second string quartet, and the reason I picked this one is uh, it, it's it's a little bit more uh, traditional, um, but it's it's still it's still it still has a lot of the same principles in it. we can hear ba 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 right see if you can trace it through see if it changes now it's backwards so this one is interesting because it sort of has two ideas happening simultaneously. Right at the beginning, we have that bada, we have bada Right, we have this this these theme that goes up and comes back down just a little bit, and then in the middle voices, we have this sort of syncopated do 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 right and so our theme can go upside down ba-da-ba-da, ba-da-ba-da. and then our, our little syncopated held thing can come out sometimes too and instruments go kind of a thing and so just right at the beginning just listening to that much we get a sense for how themes can be used this way themes themselves can be used functionally as functional harmony right the theme can be the harmony and the combination of themes can be a harmony, right? So if you think of a theme as a unit and then another theme as another unit, you can stack those on top of each other and you can actually create a harmony of themes, right? And so you're still engaging in a way in the old, the tradition of functional harmony, of tonality, but you're not using it with just the combination of tones. It's not just C-E-G, it's ba da da and da 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 Right, and so you can actually use that, and use those themes to push you forward, and use their relationship to push you forward, because now that you have a harmony, you can use one to move to a different harmony, you could use the first to move to a different harmony, and you can transform them so that they, that they progress over time, right, they grow, they evolve over time. So this evolution, so a, a thing that's often written about Bartok's music is the idea of sort of um organic evolution and so in milton babbitt's essay he wasn't talking so much about uh an organic process but he was talking about the tie to functionality and how far bartok has pushed functionality and has he taken it to a point where it can't be taken any further and i i'm not actually sure how we know how far you could take functionality but i do very much see milton babbitt's point that bartok is tied to the traditional. He's tied to function, he's tied to tonality, which is very very different than the serialists who are not engaging in tonality in the same way. So the serialists are engaging in a process that unfolds almost a uh, almost a mechanical process, right? And Bartok is at least attempting to create something more of an organic process in his music. Okay. So with all that, it's the end of music in mind. So it's my time to improvise a little bit, as I as I tend to force my guests to do. So what I'll do is I'm gonna do a short free improvisation. This might be a little weirder than a lot of the the, the episodes we've had lately, but but that's all right. I think I think I'm gonna go go into sort of free improv mode and see where that takes me. thanks for listening or watching be sure to subscribe to my channel and remember if you like this episode you can always submit new essays or articles or anything for me to read on the show i'm happy to hear your feedback also and if you sign up on my patreon i will definitely read your chosen article or chapter or book or anything like that all right i'll see you next time